Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewellery. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewellery of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweller since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Partly Political Broadcast, the comedy politics podcast that much like the UK's coronavirus situation, everyone says is going through its peak. But to be honest, also like the UK coronavirus situation, I'm not sure we'll ever actually peak and we'll just keep trundling on, upsetting people for many years to come. I'm Tiernan Duyeb and don't worry everyone, the Prime Minister Boris Johnson is back, looking like someone left a bag of dead chicks in a tumble dryer. And he's already compared the virus to being like an invisible mugger, which I think works as a metaphor, you know, on the basis that 10 years of cuts to emergency services mean that it's unlikely to get dealt with how it should. You'll be told to deal with your losses all by yourself, and if you're really worried, then it's probably best if you just don't go outside for a while. And yes, even though it's an invisible mugger, we all know that Johnson has decided what its ethnicity is, and it's not white, otherwise he'd probably have hired it as an advisor. In fact, Johnson's actual words were that if this virus was an invisible mugger, then this is the moment we have begun to wrestle it to the floor. And there it is. Despite being in ICU just over a week ago, Johnson still shows absolutely no signs of understanding how social distancing works. Ah, well, thank goodness for that. The Prime Minister's back at number 10 and returning to his normal schedule, which means saying some pompous bullshit and then probably avoiding five important meetings before likely announcing he'll be furloughing himself until October. It's so obvious that that is what has been missing in the last two weeks. We just needed some unnecessarily aggressive analogies that seem to say that Johnson is the sort of man who'd only step in to stop an attacker once they'd already killed over 21,000 people. I mean, that does fit his personality, though. It's less Spider-Man being motivated by the death of his Uncle Ben to take responsibility for his actions and powers, and more, oh, look, Thanos has killed a lot of people. If I pipe up about this now, maybe I'll get to have sex with someone. The figures are, of course, only just over 21,000, if you don't include care home deaths, which potentially double that, but we have no actual idea, because it seems the government have brought back the dementia tax, but with much higher charges to it. It's an odd decision when the entire Conservatives' electoral strategy is focused on getting the votes of older people who can't remember anything they did merely days beforehand. Actually, when you consider how many people's needs have been completely ignored by the government's non-handling of this crisis, you can't really get more invisible mugger than that, can you? 
21,000 deaths, uh, which it isn't, isn't that bad, eh? Um, as without the government's strict measures of not closing schools until far too late or letting sports events or large concerts happen until far too late or error after error, then it could have been much, much worse, apparently, according to Dominic Raab, a man whose skin is pulled so tightly I'm certain in the middle of his back there's a double knotted balloon end. Nothing says privilege like the continued assumption cabinet ministers seem to have that because they've done anything at all, it's better than them having done absolutely nothing. Hey, look, you should be grateful as you'd have nothing left if I hadn't pissed on this, Dominic Raab would protest while holding up one remaining chair from your fire-consumed home. It's that attitude that's appearing in the government more and more, where they think we should be holding a parade every time they manage to do anything at all, no matter how completely inadequate. I mean, take the Home Secretary, Pretty Patel, a woman who's like the myth about Daddy Longlegs, but where her stupidity, not lack of fangs, seems to counter her high levels of poison. On Saturday's press conference, amongst death rates from COVID-19 rising again, she announced the good news that actually crime has dropped and shoplifting is lower than it was in the same period last year. (laughs) I wonder why that could be pretty. Could it be the fact that all shops are closed? But hey, what a way to set yourself up for a fall next year, huh? Or is Patel's super tough on crime stance why the coronavirus prevention methods have been so weak in the first place? Because she demanded we all get put in our own personal prisons until crime is in the negative numbers. She's going to be very upset when she hears about this invisible mugger going on. Still, we need positive news and I hope other ministers take note of Pretty Patel's idea. I mean, maybe Education Secretary and the small alien face inside the big alien face from the film Alien, Gavin Williamson, can announce that less kids are truant from school than this time last year. Or maybe the Business Secretary and evil Seth Rogen, Alok Sharma, could pick up just how well the funeral industry is doing right now. Saying that, knife crime is now at a record high across England and Wales, meaning the only way Patel will be able to boast about dropping those stats in 12 months is by banning all knives ever, which to be fair would be the first time this cabinet were actually successful in stopping something spreading. We are beginning to turn the tide, said Johnson in his return speech, a man who, had he been in King Canute's position, would have insisted the sea was changing direction at his request, and if you couldn't see it, it's because you weren't being optimistic enough. There's not much evidence of this tide turning yet, though. The health secretary and spotty from Super Ted, Matt Hancock, promised again just last week that they would get to 100,000 coronavirus tests conducted daily. But then, just a few days later, Grant Shapps, a man only made transport secretary because they wheel him out when absolutely no one else is available, announced that it looked like they'd reached the government's 100,000 testing target by the end of April. Look, I know every day feels like one long Sunday right now, but I don't think you can try and gaslight an entire country into thinking the past month has just been an excruciatingly long 24 hours. At the moment, the capacity for tests isn't even being filled per day, though that might be partly to do with the website set up for frontline workers to book them in, crashing on day one. Something that must have been even more confusing for everyone trying to use it when it still kept defaulting to the test page. One of the main testing sites is being run by accounting firm Deloitte, who appointed without competition. And it's done in the car park of Chessington World Adventures theme park, and it's already resulted in tests being lost or sent to the wrong person on several occasions. Which is what will happen in a test centre in the home of ups, downs and big swings, run by a group very used to making sure they make people as unaccountable as possible. There's every chance that right now people in the Cayman Islands are shitting themselves about all these positive coronavirus results that they keep getting. Either that, or like Deloitte did with Carillion, we'll be told that everyone that was tested was at absolutely full health with absolutely no symptoms whatsoever, and they'll be completely dead within days. Hey now, maybe we should be grateful that the government's managed to get any tests done at all, even if it's via a financial company who posts things incorrectly, because that's the sort of thing all the work experience staff usually do, and they were laid off weeks ago. 
They're just following the science, though, aren't they? They're just following the science. You know, the science that may or may not be influenced by special advisor and original Dr. Finkelstein, Dominic Cummings, a man who believes in herd immunity and moon bases. The only reason you'd want his sort of scientific advice was if you were short on ideas for a villain in a children's film of the kind that is both mean but mostly laughable and gets defeated by a cute animal and a two-foot hero with a magic yo-yo. Cummings has been attending the meetings of SAGE, the Scientific Advisory Group for Emergencies, who have an acronym that both says WISDOM, but also that their advice might leave you stuffed. The group is usually scientists, but since February, Cummings and a data scientist from the Vote Leave campaign have been attending and actively participating, which might be why, much like Brexit, the government followed advice of how to tackle coronavirus by not really doing anything at all for ages and then trying to rush it all at once last minute without much thought before then having to delay getting things going again. When accused of a lack of transparency, Rob said they don't release the names of those who attend SAGE meetings in case it puts them at risk or pressure of undue influence. And of course, it's far easier to manage that if they just put the undue influence in the meetings with them. Speaking of Brexit, the EU's chief negotiator and worried father-in-law from a 90s European comedy, Michel Barnier, has said that the progress made in post-Brexit negotiations has been disappointing. Which is surprising, as none of us were expecting it to be anything more than disappointing than that, even before the pandemic hit, so in a way that means they're going well considering. The UK government is saying that they're refusing to extend the transition period beyond the end of the year, which means essentially a no-deal after this coronavirus, because I guess if you're going to recession, you may as well do it properly. During his press conference last week, Grant Shapps said the government would be putting a lot of money into protecting trade routes from many EU countries during the coronavirus crisis. But as they'll all be gone by the end of the year anyway, this is the sort of throwing a lot of cash into a leaving party that I'd usually expect from Deloitte. With Shapps also only just announcing people arriving at airports having to be quarantined for 14 days, the government may as well go all out and get us used to Brexit right now. I mean, we're currently not able to get certain foods, we can't travel anywhere, businesses are failing, and there aren't enough essential workers or people to pick fruit and veg. I mean, just give up on the trade routes now, tell a few fishermen to get fucked, and we should slide out of the EU in December without anyone even realising. Oh wait, maybe that's why they're being so slow at dealing with this. There could be another year of social distancing, which is great news if you borrowed something from a pal last year and were running out of excuses to give it back. Scotland's lockdown lifting procedure will likely be phased, though I'm not sure if that's in like the Star Trek sense, whereby some people will be killed, some stunned and others just disrupted while all trade dematerialises. There are rumours that in England, people will be allowed to choose the 10 friends and family that they can see, which just doesn't work as a plan, as what if your 10 is different to their 10 and so on. More importantly, what if, like me, you don't even have 10 friends? Does this mean I now have to accept that Facebook friend request from that utter prick from my school? And is it allowed to not choose any friends or family, but instead 10 random strangers who you tell to meet in a mansion before saying that they're all guilty of murder and then setting them up in an elaborate mystery that they have to try and solve while they all start to disappear one by one? Life assurances of £60,000 have been given to the families of NHS and frontline staff who die from the coronavirus because that's cheaper than buying PPE at top market prices, apparently. Meanwhile, there are over 100 FTSE companies who are using the furloughing scheme, but they also paid their CEOs an average of £3.6 million a year, and they're now using government money to cover staff wages instead. See, all along that show Benefit Street should have been set on Millionaire's Row. Prime Minister's Questions is now fully virtual, uh, meaning that much like virtual porn, everyone from the comfort of their own home gets to watch the entire country being fucked. 
Foreign Secretary Dominic Raab and Labour leader and NEPAD Keir Starmer attended the actual House of Commons with an almost entirely empty gallery and other MPs attending via Zoom, which meant that for the first time ever, the response to most questions and answers was the sort of cold, muted apathy that they've always, always deserved. The government's daily press conferences will now be accepting questions from members of the public. You know, like they used to mock the opposition for doing, but it's now a good idea because they've come up with it all by themselves and they've said it out loud. The first question was from Lynn in Skipton, which is Dominic Cummings' online name on a Monday. And she asked about when people would be able to hug their closest family again. But the answer given was that it depended on personal situation. I mean, for example, if you're Boris Johnson's estranged children, probably never and he'll see you in court if you try. You can submit questions via the gov.uk website and I think if we all gang together and do this properly, we can at some point get someone to appear on screen and shout, a stupid incompetent bumhole says what? And enjoy at least a few seconds of what will otherwise be whichever minister drew the short straw that day, trying to tell us that clearly everyone is happy with everything they're doing as there have been less mass outdoor protests than there were this time last year. In other news, former Newsnight editor, then head of ITV News and weather vane Allegra Stratton has now become director of communications for the Chancellor and Lumiere from Beauty and the Beast, but somewhere between candle and human form Rishi Sunak. When working at Newsnight, Stratton was accused of a culture of denial after she betrayed a single working mum as a benefit scrounger. So Stratton should be perfect for heading up Sunak's post-pandemic announcements that everyone who received money to survive the crisis is now a slave to the state and must carry rocks until the debt is paid off. Actually, uh, that's quite close to reality at the moment as furloughed workers are being told to take a second job, picking fruit and veg to help the UK harvest, which is putting new meaning to your life expectations coming a cropper. Meanwhile, Sunak made an appearance on BBC's Big Night In, an evening where a lot of famous celebrities showed support for the British public staying at home in a lockdown by showing them just how absolutely massive their rich, rich houses are. The Chancellor sat in front of shelves and shelves of books, dressed in casual clothes, and he was praised for looking normal, the main thing most Conservatives never manage without appearing like an alien in a skin suit far too small for them. But sitting in your own library isn't normal, as the closest most people get to that now is if they break into the one near them that closed down in 2012. Still, it must have been novel for Sunak to sit somewhere surrounded by that many spines. Welsh health minister and man who is definitely just a child dressed as a grown-up, Vaughan Gething, got in trouble after he left his microphone unmuted during a virtual Welsh Assembly meeting and he said, what the fuck is the matter with her, about a colleague. There have been several calls to dismiss him, but I think we should cherish any politician that finally accurately reflects public opinion about most ministers. And in the US, a country where people think being in lockdown is an affront to their freedom, so I can't wait to see how they feel about, you know, dying. The president, and what if there was a ship made of spam and it crashed into a mountain of turds, Donald Trump, suggested people could inject disinfectant as a treatment for coronavirus. He's been condemned for those views, but I can see how he might reach that conclusion when you can get all-purpose flash. And there were rumours about the North Korean supreme leader on the weekend with Kim Jong-un dead trending on social media, a terrifying thought that we'd suddenly have to contend with a pandemic and zombie outbreak at the same time. But it's since been reported by South Korea security advisers that the angry dumpling is alive and well, and a North Korean diplomat said that none of the rumours were based on facts. But considering on how North Korean state news usually works, that probably means they believe it. 
Yargle! What's happening, people? Nothing. Nothing much is happening. I know that. I mean, I say that, but today, on my one allowed walk per day, I saw some bees. Yep. A very pissed off cat. Sorry, a cat. And across the road, there were two older men standing only one foot apart from each other, uh, if that. And one said to the other, are you doing your best to avoid the virus then? And the other one said, nah, it's all rubbish, isn't it? So, all I'm saying is there'll be property available in my area soon, if you're interested. People are so baffling, aren't they? Really baffling. Uh, it's been all go in my flat this past week, though, as we've been trying to potty train our daughter. Sorry, my agent. Uh, because when things are shit outside, you may as well make them shit inside, too. Huh. Um, one highlight, or perhaps low light, depending on if you're me or anyone else, uh, was on Sunday when she ran into the living room shouting, I need a poo-poo! And I grabbed her super quickly to whisk her to the loo, where we've got one of those tiny little seats that you put on the top. Uh, and in doing so, I managed to plant my bare left foot uh, right into a massive grown man sized cable of a turd that she'd either done super quickly as I lifted her up or just seconds before I did. I mean it was such quick pooing. It was almost impressive. It was like some sort of incredible distraction technique that David Blaine or like Dynamo would pay millions for. I don't know how she did it. I nearly slipped over um, but I luckily didn't or explaining to an overcrowded A&E why I had to attend in these pandemic times would have been ridiculously uh, embarrassing. Um, instead I just sort of half sat waving my poo foot in the air calling for help from my wife because I was failing to hop to the bathroom and I didn't want to tread poo everywhere, making the whole situation worse. Um, And my wife was unable to help as she was doubled over laughing so hard she almost couldn't breathe. My daughter, uh, sorry, my agent, was standing by her poo remains looking absolutely full of glee, shouting poo on the floor, poo on the floor. So, yeah, it's going really well. It's going really well. Uh, To be fair, today she has done one poo and two wees in the actual loo. And that's my daughter uh, slash agent, not Um, with one of those tiny seats on it. Um, So that is all good. Uh, But she does keep shouting about the poo on the floor, so I'm sure a therapist will have to deal with that one in about 20 years' time, especially if I make an Edinburgh Fringe show about it. Yes, I do need a new agent. Most agents shit on their clients, so I guess uh, this is an improvement in some way. Um, This does also come days after my daughter, sorry, agent, also told my wife that Daddy's on the telly, and when my wife looked, it was a picture of Joe Exotic. So, um... Please bring back childcare soon. Please, please do that very soon. I'm still here, though, with my poo foot, and you're still there, and thank you for that, and I hope you are coping okay. Oh, it's weird, isn't it? Some days it's all right, and then other days I get this sort of glum feeling, um, just sort of misery, pessimism, that could probably be fixed in seconds by just travelling somewhere outside of my immediate area. I've started reminiscing about things like driving up the A1 in traffic. How weird is that? Yeah, uh, these are very strange times indeed. And I thank you for continuing to listen to this. And I hope this show is helping. But I totally understand if you are skipping some um, as you're more in need of escapism at the moment. I mean, I'm limiting my news take, uh, so it's just enough that I need for this show, and that is about it. I can't really handle too much more. Um, it's all a bit too bleak, isn't it? You know, the death rate going up, Jesus, it's miserable. I saw um, the other day, I feel I should sort of mention this, um, one of the guests I had on the show just a few weeks ago, the very, very lovely Dean Burnett, his dad passed away due to the virus last week, and he wasn't able to see him uh, or really speak to him before he died. I can't imagine how tough that must be, and my heart absolutely goes out to Dean and his family. Um, he has had a lot of lovely support online but if you enjoyed this interview the other week or any of his books or just anything he does now might be a very nice time to reach out and let him know um, but God, it's pretty tough isn't it? I know a few people that that's happened to and have lost relatives and have lost friends um, but look, I know this is a comedy podcast uh, and I think it's important to keep yourself happy and healthy throughout all of this and I also still think it's important to try and laugh about it somehow not 
sure I know how, but you've got to somehow try uh, and cheer yourself up, haven't you? So, look, firstly, thank you to those of you who donated this week to the Kofi. Uh, Richard, Claire, John, Helen, anonymous, someone and somebody. And I love that some people are anonymous, some are a someone or a somebody. I respect that choice. Um, but your decisions and your lovely messages that you put with them keep making my day. So thank you tons uh, so much. Um, if you can spare a few quid at either ko-fi.com forward slash bro or patreon.com forward slash bro, uh, then you are a proper lifesaver at the moment. And I do not say that lightly uh, otherwise I'd say lifesaver um, that would be insane. Um, and of course if you can't donate then please don't feel you have to but maybe throw a review onto Apple Podcasts Stitcher or Castbox if you can with a lovely five stars on it and even just spread the word to other people uh, that you might think might like it you know the ones the ones who watch all them funny news shows on the telly that aren't that funny anymore and they swear it's hard hitting political comedy and oh yeah that's really told the government you know the ones who go yeah that really told the government yeah that's satire it's best but then like you watch it again that wasn't even a, a joke I think that might be in the ad break you know those people well send them this so they can be disappointed by a podcast as well so uh quick admins this week um firstly i ask this every few months and i'm not sure what to do but should i keep the parpol bro twitter and facebook accounts going are they useful i mean i set up both just so i could post links to the show outside of my own personal accounts but the twitter is now just links to the show as i have time to do anything else with it and the facebook is also well just links to the show as no one even has chats on it anymore or posts anything else. So, do any of you want to do anything with them? Uh, is there something I should be doing that won't add to the list of things I already don't have time to do? Or should I just bid them? Let me know uh, what you think. Um, just have no idea. Um, oh, and this coming weekend, uh, Mark Watson is doing one of his marathon 24-hour shows, uh, but online, raising money for two charities, one tackling food poverty, one for hospices, and another that is helping comedians like me who have absolutely no work anymore. Um, I've previously done quite a bit in Mark's long shows, uh, but I can't this time due to, well, childcare, uh, lack of spare rooms to do things in without waking up said child, making childcare hard, and the sheer exhaustion of childcare in between trying to find any work whatsoever. But I will be doing some things, uh, as will so many excellent comedians, and of course, Mark will be wonderfully and at times deliriously hosting it. So do tune in from 9pm on Friday, May the 1st, until Saturday at 9pm on twitch.tv forward slash Watson Comedy. Uh, also on Saturday, I'm hosting another live comedy club for kids gig at 10.30am on the Next Up Comedy streams, so just check my social media for that as I'll be going on about it. Right, on this week, I am speaking to amazing comedian, former drug addict and former care worker Pope Lonergan about care homes and why things are quite so shit there right now. Um, it sounds like quite a glum subject, but he manages to make a very upsetting subject very heartfelt and at times very, very funny too. So please do have a listen. Um, plus, there are some COVID-related odds and sods, or as I call that section, COVODs and COVSODs. Yes, come to this show for laughs. Leave with really weird questions about the way in which I name sections. Yeah, I know my brand. I know my brand. Care homes sound lovely, don't they? I mean, care and then home is basically two of the loveliest sounding things there are. I mean, you wouldn't want to be cared for on a bus, for example, or have an uncaring home. So the combination should mean a properly good place to be. But at the moment, care homes, which can mean residential or nursing homes for the vulnerable and elderly, are pretty scary places. Scare homes, if you like, uh, which you don't, because no one does. Horrible. Deaths from COVID-19 are being ignored in the government figures, uh, but from all accounts, the rates are really very high, with little way to stop infection amongst vulnerable and elderly at-risk residents and staff having inadequate PPE to keep themselves safe. 
A BBC journalist tweeted the other day that at his mother-in-law's care home alone, they'd lost 17 people and one staff member, which is just horrible. Why is this happening? Well, a lot of blame is being laid on the government's reckless order that said any patients who no longer needed NHS treatment could be sent back to their care homes, even if they still had COVID-19 symptoms. That's basically passive biological warfare of the sort of treatment most pest control companies would balk at. It's horrible. Many care home residents have been forced to sign do not resuscitate orders if they become seriously ill with the virus. And it really feels like the government have just decided that a certain section of society don't deserve to live through this. Which, you know, I'd be okay with if it was a different section of society they targeted, especially the ones that most of those making decisions are part of. No, actually, even then I wouldn't, as that is just grim, it's sort of eugenic shit, isn't it? It's all pretty grim, to be honest, and it comes down to this. Just why is no one taking care of the care homes? No, uh, this isn't really an easy subject for a comedy politics podcast, much like most of the areas to talk to people about at the moment in these pandemic times. Um, Which is why this week I spoke to Pope Lonergan, a comedian who not only used to work in care homes, but also set up the amazing care home tour, taking stand up comedy to care homes around the country for residents with dementia. Pope talked to me all about what he did with that tour, but also what it was like working in care homes, the issues he found as a worker that have definitely led to this current situation and just what he thinks should happen next. Despite the serious nature of the subject, Pope was so, so lovely to talk to. And at times, there's also some very, very funny, lovely stories as part of this. So please do have a listen, as it's a really important one. Here's Pope. Hey, Pope. Uh, how? First question, most important. How, how are you getting on? How are you coping? Yeah, not too bad. Trying to uh, keep my schedule as, uh, as full as possible. I have to keep going because uh, as a... A recovering drug addict. If I if I don't have something to divert my addictive tendency uh, into, I can uh, I'll go to drugs. Uh, so I've 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 got to try and avoid that at all costs. So yeah, keeping busy, trying to keep as busy as possible. Nice. And you and you mean like you're doing proper things, not sort of like uh, planning which Netflix show to watch at what time? <laughs> no, no, proper proper productive things uh with yeah comedy comedy and any kind of a comedy that i'm able to migrate to the online realm and um and writing i've got some writing deadlines that i've been doing yeah so just yeah comedy and writing and and doing all the the, the usual stuff like that so good, yeah good, good nice nice yeah i'm finding it amazing that even though essentially our comedy world is cancelled there seems to be so much on and it's a real relief Yes, yeah, it is as a temporary as a temporary uh, change in uh, in what we're doing. It is it's good to know there is still something that exists. It's good to, good to know that there is still still something that's um, stand up adjacent that that exists uh, out there. Which is you know we can still we can still still flex that creative muscle. Which is, <laughs> Thank goodness for that. Thank goodness yeah. for that. And um, I so I I've never actually worked with you in the real life, which is baffling to me. There's a yeah. I, I don't know how it happens sometimes in comedy. There's certain people that you never bump into, and then when this is over with, we'll gig every single day together for like six months, and then never again for six years. That's how it work. Um, but I, what I know of you, I know that you do your your addiction clinic, uh, which is uh, sort of focused on the fact that you you had a drug addiction. But also, you do you've done shows in care homes and you've worked in a care home. And I just wonder if, as that's what I really want to talk to you about today, I wonder if you could just tell us a bit about both the work you did, but also how you worked out how to do comedy in, in that situation. 
So yeah, we did, I, I I do the so I can, within care work in itself. I did care work for eight years before going uh, full time as a comedian, and so within the uh, care environment, the care home environment, the basic role. I said like you can be you can be like a threat to these people. You uh, help them uh, with all their basic requirements that they're unable to do themselves, um, and also your the role you kind of have is as like a friend or a confidant or a whipping boy if they want a whipping <laughs> boy if they want they want someone to 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 kind of uh, um to to offload onto then you're that guy or or just a general like prosthesis like an extension of themselves being able to help them wash and get dressed if if that's something that they're unable to do anymore i said ultimately you're someone who provides consistency in their drunken world full of tectonic shifts, which is what happens when you're someone who's living with dementia, the the world becomes very strange uh, to to, uh, to them. And so you're someone who is like a you're you're a stable person who helps them to reor- reorient themselves um, and uh, and to. Uh, kind of yeah yeah that's so yeah like that kind of stuff so that's what you do within the care environment and what I was noticing within the care homes was that there was a big emphasis on the very immediate medical needs of these people but no one was focusing on what stuff that might have holistic benefits um, that might improve their 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 happiness and well-being in that in that regards so i would do stuff in a care home that's like shit gymnastics or shit karate <laughs> or any anything that was just like a minor visual spectacle spectacle that they would uh, laugh at and they would, it would elicit a good response from the residents mainly because they would sort of all gang up on me to tell me how stupid I was or what an idiot I was or what prat I was, but it created, it created a sense of like what sort of social cohesion and, and humor and levity within a care home. And I thought a, a good way to give something back to the residents would be to create this, the care home tour that we did, because there's a lot of stuff that they, they cater to their, like they provide music, and that's really beneficial for the residents. They really respond to that. But there wasn't much in the way of comedy um, going on. So uh, when I first put this idea to Josie Long, I, I first spoke to her about it. And she said for me to get in contact with Ben Tarjay, she said he's really good at getting these kinds of projects off the ground. So, um, so me and Ben bonded instantly we met up both like straight out the straight out the gate within two minutes we were both doing a bit of a like suicide top trumps like talking <laughs> about our, <laughs> talking about our suicide attempts and talking about uh um our our, our problems uh mental problems and our trauma and stuff like that so it was straight away we we really gelled and really got on and then we workshopped uh, a couple of ideas with each other and then we did some gigs with comedians that Ben felt would be able to do 
uh, comedy that's more that has a lot of physicality doesn't rely too much on linguistic ledger domain like the like like wordplay and stuff like that people who could be a bit silly uh, a bit wacky maybe come from the clowning tradition and then we settled on a, a revolving kind of troupe of comedians who include me and ben uh lucy hopkins helen duff nathan lang uh cat bond adam riches um and um, i feel like i'm missing someone oh and then we recently included uh, uh jos norris and luke rollison and that's a brilliant brilliant lineup brilliant oh all, all yeah, yeah 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 so yeah well i mean the the kind of yeah so the kind of um Sorry, I'm trying to. I've, I've had nine diet diet cokes this morning, so my, <laughs> that's, that's it. Lo- lockdown diet coke uh, cons- yeah. consumption. That's incredible. Yeah, yeah, I'm really chaining chaining the diet diet cokes. Um, yeah, so my thinking's <laughs> gone a bit muddy, but uh, we. Uh, so yeah, we we, we um, it's it's always been like a work in progress, and a bit trial and error to try and uh, hold their attention. And to try and keep them captivated. And what so what we said is that the the for the comedians going into it, they have to recalibrate their idea of what a successful gig is. And we said, yeah, if they can keep uh, pockets, if they can keep pockets of the audience captivated even just for a moment, those gilded moments where we keep them engaged and keep them stimulated are what we're uh, aiming for, really. Um, and what sort of response did you get? Uh, so we've got, so I've got a few, so, so I'm trying to, I, 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 because my brain, because my brain is a little bit pockmarked by drug abuse, I, I, my memory is uh, uh, not always that good. So I had a few notes. And, and Diet uh, Cokes, man. I mean, you've had that many Diet Cokes. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to, let's not uh, skimp on how, 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 what that many Diet Cokes must eat you in the morning. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, let me just try and find. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. First of all, I'll quote from a thing. So Sally Tisdale uh, wrote this amazing article in Harper's uh, called out of time. And Sally Tisdale is someone who's worked in elderly uh, care for a long time. And I think it had palliative care as well. And so in the article, she says the world that I see within these care homes is far more nuanced than the commentary surrounding it. There is grace here, rare intimacy, moments of startling clarity. And yes, happiness is slowly disappearing is a disaster is the abrupt tsunami better the stark fact is that dementia is incurable progressive and fatal but here is the surprise in the company of the demented one finds peace and unquestioned love in at least as much measure as in the rest of the world and she said and people with dementia sometimes have a rare entrancement with their surroundings a simplicity of perception and a sense of wonder and i said that sense of wonder is something we really want to harness and uh we want to allow the residents to reacquaint themselves with their ludic selves with their uh, sense of childlike play and so when we first did the gig in uh, uh 
the care home I used to actually work in, there would be moments like Helen Duff had this like wonderful game where she would start uh, discuss. She would hand around these cards and get people to write down their memories, and it would uh, it would kind of provide a catalyst for uh, an off the cuff reminiscence. And so there was this one lady who just started talking about her work on the farm when she was younger and uh, and Helen kind of allowed this woman to guide her through the neighborhood of, of her memories. And we said and then what we realized is that rather than performing as we went along, rather than performing at them, which could be a bit jarring for them, especially if their memories uh, are, especially if their kind of present day experience is refreshing itself every few minutes, if suddenly three minutes time, their brain resets and then they've got all these idiots in front of them jumping around and stuff like that could be a bit, uh, it could be a bit disorientating. So we worked out that allowing them to be part of the performance and turning it into an almost like an improv troupe where three quarters of us have dementia was the most effective uh, way to, to, to conduct these shows. And we said, really, we're just there to like uh, facilitate uh, a conversation and facilitate an exchange of ideas between us and the, uh, us and the residents and to, also just be a target for them to take the piss out of us as well because that can be uh that can be <laughs> that can be a really uh can, can create a lot of laughter and a, a lot of bonhomie in the room as well so I, I, my role as mc because i'm not i'm not one of these comedians that does clowning or anything like that one of these golier comedians um <laughs> I, I i i'm i'm just a storyteller on stage really if anything but as mc i would sort of say to the 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 residents that okay us lot we're a panel okay we're a panel we're going to be we're going to be spotting talent in the room today (laughs) so so we're going to be panel and i said so uh, in a minute we're going to have jos norris he's going to come out and, and and do a bit of entertainment for us and we can all decide how much money we're going to deduct from his fee, depending on how uh, how uh, uh, good he is as a performer. So if we think he's really shit, guys, we're going to say that we'll deduct £10 from his fee. And then that, yeah, that creates a sort of sense of fun and a sense of purpose as well, because then the residents feel like they're... Um, they're well, they're sort they're, of they're, they're... Like that, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. which is yeah, like they're invested and they've got a stake in this and 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 uh yeah yeah so that's that's kind of the stuff i'm sorry i've, I've probably rambled no, a little no, it's, bit it's with that, beautiful. But... i mean what you did just sounds so um just so important and and i think what's really interesting is um uh, what i want to ask you a lot about really is is about what you felt the issues were when you were working in the care homes because it seems to me quite a lot of the time and my my um nan who's 94 she's in a sort of assisted home and what's happened where she's living is a lot of the human element is gone like a lot of the people there used to be a warden there all the time that's gone that's been replaced by cctv and, and it's very much like you said it's about the medical it's about keeping them alive but there's no there's very little humanity to it. Um, yeah. And, and I wondered what you felt when you were working in the care homes. What, what were the issues uh, 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 around that? And what were the issues that you kind of came across with how these places were run? 
Uh, yeah, massively. Like, the, the extraction of humanity is 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 become a, re- a, a real problem. And I'd said that the so one of the biggest problems that uh, I felt was other. I'll go on to more logistical stuff just to do like staff shortages and and things like that. Um, but one sec, where were I? Uh, so so most uh, like uh, most uh, researchers have shown a stark disinterest within the, the, the happiness um, and the assumption of distress is because that is the only av- available lexicon for experience, for talking about the experience of those who suffer from dementia, the only available lens through which dementia is viewed. Um, and the communal res- uh, response to dementia seems to invite only existential despair. And this is the way that people talk about living with dementia as if it's it, it's it's kind of the end of the line, um, as if the person who is living with this disease is almost no longer human. And that's why I said focusing on the immediate uh, medical needs is it turns these people into pot plants where they keep them out of direct sunlight, make sure they're watered um, without focusing on the person centred care, which is exactly what it should be. And 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 we should know about the individual and their personality. And and I said, I. Um, OK, yeah, that was it. Yeah. So. <laughs> um uh, so like uh, I so I believe my, I, my my belief is in the vitality of the person and the continuation of an essential part of themselves, even if their life appears to be diminished by neurodegenerative diseases. And a lot of carers, we have like sort of a, a deep abiding love for them and don't want to just do the bare essentials. But unfortunately, we inhabit a failing care system that won't help us to mitigate these upsets and humiliations that some of the residents may experience and provide holistic benefits that nurture the human behind the illness. And the some of the problems is the management uh, operating under they're operating under pressures that are imposed uh, upon them by the kind of top tier of management who are only worried about profiteering and the bottom line and that is a simple fact these these places are, are businesses and then what happens is that a lot of the job becomes task oriented and um uh, and 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 they apply a uniform approach to care does that mean there are time restraints on, you know, do you have time restraints on doing things? You can't just spend, take time out to work with someone as and when they need it. You have to do specific things. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly that. And and another big part of that is usually to do with staff shortages. So there's uh, severe staff shortages. And because of, yeah, lack of resources, lack of staff, um, we, yeah, we're kind of, we're, we're forced to do, uh, a lot of stuff under duress and in in a certain amount of time which isn't you know these people don't want to be rushed they don't want to be hurried they're elderly people they want to take their time yeah so they yeah they should they shouldn't be rushed they shouldn't be hurried and we should uh pr- we should kind of like provide um we should kind of provide them with the uh attention that they require Rather than sort of seeing them, so the problem is, is they like, sometimes there's that dehumanizing thing of people start seeing them as as 
if they're so task orientated or they're just fit, uh, focusing on like kind of fixed objectives, it's that reduction of fi- reductionist thing of that people just see this as like this is a unit that needs to be cleaned, that needs to be stripped, that needs to be moved back into that corner rather than seeing it as a uh, a person with their you know a, a person mm. just a per it's like seeing them just as a worm rather than a person and uh and and uh and i think yes i think some of that can be can be because of because of severe staff shortages and things like that and just sort of systemic failings within the social care sector. I mean, is there much incentive to stay working? If you're feeling like you can't do the work properly and spend time with the people and, and aid them in how they want, and, and I'm guessing it doesn't pay well. No, I not all at all. the most no. important jobs don't. So is, is, there, yeah. is that why there's staff shortages? Are people like, well, there's no reason for me to keep doing this? Yeah, that's... Yeah, there's a huge high turnover of staff, and mainly because there's uh, it hasn't it's a job that hasn't been incentivized in any way. And what the the people who do stick with it, like myself for eight years, are usually very compassionate, dedicated people, and we stick uh, we stick with it because we feel duty bound to do so for these people who have become an integral part of both our lives and we've become an integral part of their lives, and we don't want to see them uh, sink because we've you know taken ourselves uh out out of the out of the job but then management and that take advantage of our of our um of our natural compassion and our uh they they know that we're going to stick around so they um they they yeah they'll 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 kind of force you to do all the hours god God gives you, you know, back to back 14 hour shifts. And then that leads to burnout inevitably. And, uh, and then because of that burnout, that's where a, a lot more carers drop off because they just, it's too much. It's too much, you know, but uh, uh, you just get fatigued and that's the problem. So, yeah. And are you sort of, I mean, I think things are really bleak right now. Uh, and they're saying that sort of half of all the coronavirus deaths are in care homes in in Europe. And we don't know in the UK because they're not reporting on it properly. Um, are you surprised that they're, that, that care homes are so under-equipped to deal with this or, or that they've been neglected? I, you know, is it, is that a shock to you that what's happening now? Not in the slightest. This is what, this is what I've been sort of really um, trying to get out there is there has been systemic failings for a long, 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 long time. And it's usually because of, uh, um, so I'll, okay, I'll give it, I'll give her for instance in that it's, it's, it's a kind of small detail, but it speaks to a larger problem. One of the things within the company, the company I worked for, they're one of the biggest care home providers in, in the country. And one of the things they uh, stopped supplying to save a bit of money. They were pleading poverty. And one of the things that they took away was peanut butter. And it seems like a small, trivial thing, but it's something that 
these people look forward to and enjoy make makes the day a bit brighter they 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 sometimes just look forward to having peanut butter on toast i do a bit in, in my comedy about uh because i'm a rabble rouser uh, trying to start a coup d'etat with people <laughs> with dementia uh as a result of this deprivation and think about people with dementia is they're lovely but they're quite unreliable but uh <laughs> so <laughs> so um and yeah that 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 was a small thing and then they were asking us to turn off uh, heating and electric even in the winter again to save money but then i read a, a thing in a guardian where the directors of these of this company collectively awarded themselves a 4.2 4.4 4 million pound wage in 2017 with the, the highest the, the highest earning one earning 2.2 million and 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 when you get that kind of venality and 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 just utter greed uh that's obviously gonna you know cause cause that knock-on effects and cause ma- massive problems um uh, in the care sector and so yeah it's just a lot of that kind of stuff like cutting corners um not providing adequate training um not having a, a stringent vetting process when it comes to the the, the people they're hiring and Sorry, say, is that like does that mean you're getting sort of agency staff with, with a high turnover does that mean sort of agency staff and people are coming in all the time or well no because i mean agent i mean you're you're so when a lot of the time with new hires these are people that they have hired they chuck them in at the deep end these people have I, I, for instance, when I first started working there, I hadn't had any training, no training, never worked in that line of work before. And I was put on the floor, had a two day. It actually wasn't even that. I had a, a, a seven hour shadowing period where I have to shadow another member of staff, but still hadn't had the requisite training. And then I was just expected to be able to use the hoist, be able to do this, being able to clean and care for a resident on my own and and, and all this kind of stuff. And it's, it's so, so dangerous. But with agency, I mean, agency are trained. They are trained stuff. They don't, they don't, they know um, the, uh, they, they, they have the, the kind of basic knowledge that they require but they don't always know the the residents on a personal level because it's the first time of meeting them but with agency staff is that they cost actually a lot more per hour so when we would have terrible staff shortages and there would be like a skeletal workforce top management were refusing to even provide agency staff because they cost too much so there would sometimes be free three members of staff for 40 residents yeah. with complex with complex needs with different types of neurodegenerative diseases with uh, mobility issues with dietary issues with you know all all this kind of stuff and you imagine that again as i said that there shouldn't ever be a uniform approach to to care work every you you go on a person by person basis and and that's why they say person-centered care is 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 the uh, the standard. But say a resident who's got a fair amount of capability, maybe not too many problems with mobility, but they do, but they have dementia. They um, a form of dementia, so they need a little bit of help with washing and dressing because their coordination isn't isn't that great. 
um then uh and you obviously want to be having a chat with them as well and easing them into the day that might take 20 minutes and that's for a a resident whose needs are fairly low so you, as you can imagine what it'd be like for someone who's completely bed bound or, or 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 requires hoisting or this that and the other and then there's 40 40 with three members of staff and usually a lot of these residents require a legal a legal requirement is for two members of staff to to be helping them while a third member of staff is uh, acting as a supervisor within the lounge or communal areas to ensure that no residents are falling over because a lot of residents will get up even if they, they sort of forget that they're they're not quite able to walk properly and they'll sort of stand up and then fall fall down if if the staff isn't there if there's not the, the correct amount of staff there and this is the conditions that carers are pressured to work under constantly all the time in every co- home i've ever encountered or spoken to you know staff members from that home it's that time of the year your vacation is coming up you can already hear the beach waves feel the warm breeze relax and think about work you really really want it all to work out while you're away Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And we'll be back with Pope in a minute, but first... So I wasn't entirely sure what to do for the middle bit this week, what with the news still being all coronavirus. Uh, I did COVID-19 myth-busting last week. Uh, there's not enough positive stories to do a coronavirus-y, positive section, though there was one nice one about wild stork eggs hatching in the UK for the first time in hundreds of years, which made me wonder, wait, did a human have to carry them there in a knapsack in their mouth? Who knows? It's very but, but, look, there are some odds and sods that I thought might be worth a quick mention on this week's show. So, here is a very brief Covards and Covards. You'd think the government would like museums on account of how many fossils they have within their own party. But the Treasury is blocking wage top-ups for furloughed museum staff, meaning that museums can only give them the agreed 80% of their salary and not use any extra cash they may have to pay the further 20%. Now you might think that if no one's getting 100% wages then it's unfair that museum staff do, except 
Some people are getting 100% their wages and most museum staff are on living wage or under and are in the very, very low wage bracket. This is because museums are often underfunded as governments don't seem to understand that just because they display history doesn't mean you have to give them archaic levels of support. The thing is, it's only museums and heritage organisations that have been given this order. For all other businesses, the Treasury has stated that employers can top up salaries if they choose to, using their own money. Museums and galleries generate up to 70% of their own income, but are not being allowed to add any extra to staff's wages. Is it concerns that at some point they'll have to display the true horrors of the pandemic of 2020 with a walkthrough section where you can get an inadequate test and a large playing area where you try to find where on earth Boris is? Maybe that's why. Unions such as Prospect are challenging this, so hopefully it will change soon. Otherwise, it could mean at some point in the future we'll have to have a museum exhibition about museum staff, but with absolutely no one around to manage it. France, Denmark and Poland have all made plans to block offshore tax havens from claiming government aid in their coronavirus bailout measures. Which is just amazing. I mean, if you aren't contributing towards that country, why should they contribute towards saving your business? I mean, on the downside, this does put a lot of pressure on the Cayman Islands to bail out an awful lot of people. In the UK, senior members of the clergy, including basically a wizard and former Archbishop of Canterbury, Rowan Williams, have all signed a letter saying the Treasury should follow suit and do the same. But weirdly, the Chancellor, Rishi Sunak, who happens to be married to the daughter of a billionaire who owns a company who paid quite a lot of money in tax avoidance fines in the US, isn't keen. Who'd have thought it? Weird. Instead, he's just said that they were all in this together and that he's urging businesses to act responsibly. Which they are, you know, by responsibly not paying their taxes and keeping them offshore while responsibly furloughing all their staff with government money. I mean, Stonegate, the pub chain that owns Sluggard Lettuce, Yates's and Walkabout, you know, all the pubs only tourists go to because they don't realise that other places have atmosphere, they're registered in the Cayman Islands but are now using government money to pay 80% of their staff's wages. Similarly, tax-dodging NHS-suing smug Merkin, Richard Branson, is now asking for £500 from the government to bail out his Virgin Atlantic airline, even though he can pay that out of his personal fortune of £4.7 billion by accident and probably wouldn't even notice as he'd be too busy ruining healthcare so he can go to the moon. Knowing Branson, he'd be happy living on the moon and keep all his taxes on Mars just to be an absolute prick about it. While massive-faced Robert Jenrick has been talking about his several thousand houses, his department, the Ministry of Housing, Communities and Local Government, has been allowing councils to give planning authority to town hall officials, meaning it can completely bypass the usual committee and consultation process. Labour-run Lambeth Council, for example, in London, are using this time to push through proposals to demolish six council estates, which would leave an awful lot of tenants with absolutely nowhere to live, and it would conveniently generate an awful lot of money by selling the land for private developments that no one will be able to afford to live in. The council are refusing to release any documents, and the whole thing was shoved through just before Easter, which isn't really the point of the new life bit of that celebration, is it? I mean, in the story, Jesus wasn't killed, and then everyone celebrated as where he stood was sold off and turned into a one-bed studio apartment for someone from Saudi Arabia to buy and never, ever live in. Otherwise, I feel that the morals for it would come across a little bit weird. So, many laws and policies are being pushed through during this pandemic that it's likely only afterwards we'll all realise the absolute extent of it. I don't know all six of the estates that are due to be demolished, but one of them is Cressingham Gardens, and if you search for Save Cressingham Gardens, you can find the campaign to stop it happening and a petition to sign, and I'll pop a link in the pod blurb too, so please do go there and check that out. So, uh, just a very few COVODs and COVSODs for now, uh, likely more next week. Um, if there's a little story or area being missed at the moment, you'd like me to mention in this bit, 
please do give us a shout on all them usual places or even some unusual ones if you fancy. Send it to me on a baby stalk, uh, you know, in a, a thing with a napkin in its mouth. Wait, maybe a human with, with a napkin. Just email me. And now, back to Pope. It's so, it's so appalling. I mean, it, you could you could absolutely see why things are so horrendous now. With you know, with, with if you yeah. can't look after, if it's taking three people to look after forty people, you can't do individual care when there's a possible pandemic and and protective yeah. equipment and everything that you need. Um, do you feel, you know, and, and I, I sort of, I feel like care homes are kind of neglected in general by society because it's like, oh, well, they're elderly people; they've got dementia. No one cares about them anymore in that horrible way. Is that? Yeah. Is that why, you know, do, do you think that's why they're being so ignored now or, or why they have been for, for so long? Is it just because of the, the people that they look after do, that society sort of ignores generally? Yeah, yeah, I, I believe so. I believe people think of uh, elderly people as almost expendable, especially in a situation like this. And like I, I, I understand like there is there is this idea of bureaucratic triage within hospitals where they have to uh, redistribute uh, vital resources to younger patients. And it, that is it, that should be the case. I understand that. But any doctor who has to make that decision to almost it's like a kind of government mandated call in a way. And any doctor who has to make that decision it would be heartbreaking for them. But a lot of people, as a lot of pundits and commentators I've seen, are talking about that decision with such flippancy as if it's a no-brainer and um, and 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 talked about prioritising economic needs over the preservation of life. And that's a, then people are fucking maniacs. They're fucking maniacs talking about the elderly as if they're just like canaries in the coal mine that, that, that deserve to be like longed off as if they're like a strata of society that can be sloughed off the top and uh, as if that's nothing is and and there was i i said this there was a there was speculation that with harold i'm being perfectly <laughs> sensationalist now but i i'm using i'm going to use this to make a sort of larger point there was a, a speculation that harold shipman's motivation for killing was a bureaucratic management of budgets that ensured quality care by means of homicide so his budgets had to be balanced and he could achieve this by periodically removing a number of his patients and uh, and the commentators and pundits who are talking about this as if as if letting the elderly die is a no brainer are basically Harold Shipman. Yeah. <laughs> They're fucking maniacs. It, it, yeah. But it is. It's 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 a, it's, um, it's 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 such apathy. I don't know how you can you can. I'm not saying you have to be the most empathetic person, but to uh, to sort of see this as almost being like a logical conundrum and the way it's solved is to uh is to is to let the elderly die and yeah and 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 i'm not saying it's prevalent i don't think that mindset is prevalent and i've seen a lot of people who would usually applaud these pundits and clap along actually uh give a lot more pushback which has been heart heartening it's been good to to see that but there is there is a, 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 um, a portion of society larger than we we would probably realise who who do view the elderly it's, that it's, way. I mean, 
You can see it because, you know, we, we just get death stats. They're just numbers. You don't know the names and the faces for these people. And also, I suppose a lot of people in, in care homes are outside of the public spotlight anyway because they, they stay within the homes. Yeah. And, and so you can absolutely see how people ignore them, which is very upsetting. But you can sort of put it together well, and, and see how it happens. Well, Frankie Boyle wrote a tweet that was kind of summed it up perfectly where I can't, I'm going to butcher <laughs> it. I don't know the exact word it but uh, it was along the lines of uh, this amount of people uh, have died. But if you think the people in care homes are humans, then it's actually this amount of uh, people have died. It's like that's the kind yeah. of mentality. It's like the data's there. And the data for those who have passed away in care homes is almost like extraneous. It's almost like, oh, but they're not, they're like, they're not, they're a bit, yeah. like, that's, that's, <laughs> they're beside the point. They're just sort of like a little bit of toot on the side. It's so grim. That's Somehow making you laugh at that, which I think is incredible. But it's, um, you know, yeah. do you, like, there must be, uh, try and find the silver lining in all the most miserable situations, but, things are being you know a light is being shone on this sector at the moment do you you think that's it's gonna maybe be positive for the future that people might pay a bit more attention to this you you know are there things that you kind of hope will be tackled because we're suddenly going oh right we've just forgotten about a whole bunch of people yeah i know i i really really hope so i said because like that what we were just talking about like another point there is like it's i think people say it's almost socially darwinian and uh, a cleansing virus will relieve the body politic of its weaker members and it will relieve the treasury of its uh of the burden of social care whereas now with this light being shone upon this i'm really hoping that people don't forget about the 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 failings within uh, uh, social care and what it can lead to i really hope they don't forget it once um once we're kind of through the worst of this and this is why i keep banging on about it because i really want to keep that momentum going i really want to uh, ensure that people that this is now a, a permanent part of the discourse that we are always talking about this and trying to find ways to to rectify and improve uh, upon it, uh, improve it. So, um, yeah, my hope is is that it, it, there will like there, there will be change, but I'm not bearing witness to that at the moment. And there's almost it's, it's, there's kind of like a, I, I I'm not conspiracy minded or anything like that, but the regulatory bodies like CQC who come in uh, to to assess these homes. Firstly, they always announce when they're coming to visit these homes. And you know what that will lead to is that everything becomes stage managed in that home. And like a really good example of that was a home uh, I worked in. They never... I would always like do my own entertainment with the residents because they would the, the 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 when it came to the the entertainment there was always a bit of a deficit and not much of a budget. So then the day CQC were expected, they brought in a whole fucking farmyard. Like suddenly there was llamas everywhere, there was badgers, there was porcupines, <laughs> there was all these wonder. Suddenly the whole place was just flooded with like <laughs> with. with, with <laughs> honestly i like look at this wonderful like dr doolittle world that these residents inhabit how wonderful 
these cute critters everywhere suddenly flooded with critters um one of the residents was sitting there with like a stack of hairless guinea pigs on her uh, a parrot <laughs> and and uh, and like so some kind of like raccoon curled up on her lap and one of the CQC inspectors came round to her and went, oh, well, this is nice, isn't it? Are you enjoying this? She went, yeah, yeah. We never have stuff like this. I've never, we never have stuff like this. She said it to the CQC uh, inspector. I was like, I'm so glad <laughs> that's come from the horse's mouth. She's like, Dude, what an amazing treat this is because we usually get fuck all. And then, uh, and uh, yeah, it was, it was, Brilliant. It was, it was, it was yeah, it was good. Uh, and yeah. And that, and and again, that's the problem that these, these they do the, they do the bare minimum every other day. Not all care homes. I'm I'm sure there's some. I've seen some that that are really, um, uh, they're not just providing adequate care or entertainment. They're they're really going all out with it. But it's very rare. And so, yeah, a lot a lot of these these places are only being assessed positively because cqc have, have pre-announced their arrival and then suddenly it's all hands on deck all the staff shortages have been plugged there's farmyard bunged into the middle of the home activity going on you know look a huge lovely food lots of choice and all that kind of stuff so yeah um whereas most of them are running on on uh are running on fumes every 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 other day what so yeah what do you think these does there need to be regulation or is it nationalization what needs to happen because you say some places are brilliant and really looking after people yeah. and some aren't and i'm guessing that depends on who owns it and who runs it yeah it's usually yeah it's it's usually these it's usually like a a, a a coterie of like dedicated staff members who um who will turn a home from being adequate into being exceptional and if you haven't got enough of them staff members to kind of tip the balance you'll get like like in my home there was a lot of us carers and uh, a manager who was really dedicated um and, and was uh de- we're devoting our lives to these people and we loved them very much, but there wasn't enough of us to um, to turn a home of like 114 people into what what we wanted it to be. And there is regulation, there is CQC regulation. I, I don't I don't know the ins and outs, but that that is default in the system is that they don't do the, the what you like what you get in a retail sector where you oh, get um, yeah yeah. Secret shopper, yeah, yeah, exactly that. You don't have that. You don't have that in care homes. So that would be just one, one thing that would would, would really would really change, would really change the uh, care sector, the social sector, and nationalising it. Exactly that, nationalising it. These should not be for profit companies because when they're for profit companies, uh, the fi- you know the finances are prioritised over. Uh, the welfare of the residents and they can say all this sort of tokenistic bollocks of the 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 the, the, par- the, the residents welfare is paramount and that will always be the priority but we don't witness that that isn't what happens so um 
so yeah, I, I believe in nationalising it. I think that would be vital. And uh, trying to think of other peanut things butter. that could... Peanut butter for everyone. Yeah. Peanut butter, <laughs> mate. Bung in a few farmyard animals and peanut butter and we're sorted, mate. <laughs> uh, it's, thank, it's, been, and, uh, it's been properly lovely talking to you. Thanks so much for, for, for doing this. And I, I wanted to ask you a question, which I ask every guest that we have on the show, which is just in the hope of furthering information and, and where people can get to it. And apart from yourself and everything that you do, like who else should listeners follow or read up on or, you know, listen to about the care sector? Like who who do you go to for information or who do you trust as a reliable source of information? Uh, so, so I, I don't know. I don't know any kind of news, um, news outlets that are excavating this, um, that, uh, that much to be honest but there's certain writers so like sally tisdale who i mentioned she uh wrote an amazing essay in harper's called out of time uh there's an amazing article in the new yorker called the comforting fictions of dementia care and there's let me just get it there's this book as well i forget the title one moment and a lot of these are more i mean a lot of these are more like a philosophical exploration of dementia which is something we need to change our perceptions um, of people with dementia and, and these articles will help you do that and and what dementia teaches us about love by nikki gerrard um, that's an amazing book that would change these perceptions and uh, i'll just see quickly if there's just one more thing i could end on that's a more a kind of more positive yeah, note do. yeah please do um yeah um Oh yeah, and ask people to read the, the Guardian article on the care home tour. What we're doing is change. The project has actually changed a lot since we've uh, since we've done that first uh, show. But if you yeah, you you if you keep a keep abreast of what me and Ben Tarjay are doing on our Twitters and all that, and um, yeah, I, I I just okay yeah, I just feel I think a, a really important uh, thing that we have to do is to say that even though it these people, it's a life altered there is still an essential essence um and there's still the person that you knew and love who who continues so uh yes yeah let's do everything we can to make sure we we help the elderly and uh help to turn these care homes into not just adequate places into exceptional places um yeah Alright, I'll, I'll win. <laughs> I'll end on that. Yeah. Thanks, tons of hope for that. Um, you can find him on Twitter at the Daily Bumbler, and he now has a Twitch.tv channel that he's regularly broadcasting on, which you can check out at Twitch.tv forward slash Pope underscore Lonergan L O N E R G A N. Uh, plus, his comedy night addiction clinic, featuring acts talking about their addiction problems with a variety of things, uh, will be streamed on NextUpComedy.com's Twitch stream on May the eighth do check that out um of course all the links that pope mentions will be on the website page for this episode later in the week thanks to cat day who always sends me them despite lockdown parenting issues which is proper heroic so thanks tons to her um i've got next week's guests lined up but after that i need more uh, i'm contacting a lot of people at the mode but despite a lot of people being stuck at home it is not a great time to get hold of them with childcare work general panicking and all of that so if you know someone that I should talk to and can talk to or a subject I should try and track someone down to talk to them about, um, please do get in touch and let me know. And you can do that via the at Bro Twitter account, the Partly Political Broadcast Facebook group, the contact page at partlypoliticalbroadcast.co.uk or just email me at partlypoliticalbroadcast at gmail.com. 
Or why not write it on a pair of pants and then fashion them into your own face mask? And then as you try to approach me so I can read it, I'll swerve out the way because I have absolutely no faith in you obeying the two metre rule. And ultimately, you'll just spend the entire day inhaling the smell of your nether regions for absolutely no good reason. Well, unless you like that sort of thing. I mean, some people do. As always, though, it's probably just best to email, isn't it? And that's all for this week's Partly Political Broadcast. Thanks to you and your noise receptacles for tuning in. And guess what? You've reached the end again, which means you are entitled once more to some Hot Pole Goss Facts. Pop Hole Bro Hot Pole Goss Facts. Yeah, that's right. You there, Team Connets, Team Dira, Team Veg, Vig, Vug. No, wait, it's Hungarian. So it's Vig, Vaj. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, but here you are at the end of the pod, and this week, with Parliament being virtual, but sort of not even managing that, did you know that the British Parliament hasn't always been in the Palace of Westminster? No, look, I'm not talking about that bit between the early 13th century until the 15th, when it wasn't, you know, they had to take it in turn. Look, I mean, in 1985, on March the 7th of that year, due to a temporary glitch in the space-time continuum, the entirety of Parliament was briefly transported three quarters across the galaxy for less than a millisecond and then returned. But uh, no one noticed as Douglas Hearn had been talking at the time and they were all in an attention span coma. So there you go. Hot podcast facts just for you. And there will be more next week. Uh, if you enjoy those or, you know, just enjoy generally being, then please do tell all what you know about this show on the social medias and send your Nana Telegraph about it. Review the show on the pod apps you use or maybe in a vintage copy of a yellow pages you found. And why not chuck me a few pennies at ko-fi.com forward slash bro or join the patreon.com forward slash bro and help me out in this new world with no comedy allowed in it whatsoever. Big dank assurance to Acast, my brother last skeptic for the music, this cat day for all the linear liner notes, and to Mushy Bees for artwork. Magic times. This will be back next week when the Prime Minister insists he's caught the invisible burglar and defeated him, but when police storm into number 10, we discover he's just trapped Larry the Cat under a sheet, and then he says he's too stressed to work and he takes time off until August. Bye. This week's show is sponsored by Deloitte's Coronavirus Testing Service. Worried you have the virus? Worried you'll be self-isolating for 14 days? Come get tested by us at our centres just near what was Professor Burp's bubble works. And if we find out you're full of the Covids, we'll tell you how to defer symptoms till the next tax year, how to give dividends of symptoms to your family so the impact is lessened on yourself, and most importantly, how to make all your virus germs resident offshore until you need them again. Take our Deloitte coronavirus testing service for a spin and then go on Ramesses Revenge for a spin. Deloitte! Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.